everyone agrees, bacon makes everything better. Even marketing. This is the Bacon Podcast, where you'll learn to cure your marketing. And make your business. I can't believe I said that. Internet marketing. Online marketing. Social media tips and techniques. Now, to help you bring more bacon home, the master of marketing sizzle, Brian Basilico. This is the Bacon Podcast. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps. I am uber excited. I have an incredible guest who's actually been on before. His name is Brian Kinghorn. He's kind of a social media psychologist, and he works at Marshall University in, is that in Virginia or West Virginia, Brian? West Virginia. West Virginia. Anyways, he was on episode 355 and 353. Check out those two episodes. And we were talking about the psychology of social media. But today, I'm having him back on for a second time because I want to talk about curating content and tribalism. Now, the tribalism we're going to be talking about, Brian, I know you just got back from Scotland, has nothing to do with kilts, right? No, no. Okay, so we're not going to be dancing around fire and skirts and those kind of things. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about social media tribalism. So give me a definition of what you mean by that. What what are we talking about? Because I know, and you know, that there's a lot of definitive divisiveness on social media right now. Well, actually, when we do talk about tribalism, we are going back to uh, the idea of warring tribes. Um, but it's kind of an us versus them, an in-group and an out-group. And social media has really amplified uh, the ability for people to get into these uh, tribes, you could say, online, um, whether it is political tribes or whether it is uh, ideologies, um, or even tribes around uh, certain uh, uh, ideas or hobbies uh, that people get involved in. And uh, it really sets this up for people to uh, have an in-group and an out-group and to, like these tribes who warred uh, with one another, um, have very, very negative feelings towards the out-group and think that their in-group can do no wrong. Right. And this is very different than saying, you know, defining a niche market and saying, okay, I speak to left-handed photographers who also use chiropractic. I mean, when we're getting into something that specific, that's really kind of a target market versus something that has a opposing crowd in one way, shape, or form, right? Yeah. And there's actually, as you talk about the niche markets, um, that's a really wonderful thing about social media is you can... Uh, maximize uh, the money that you spend on marketing towards those niche markets, towards those individuals who uh, are most likely to purchase your products. And and that's a really good thing. We have to think of social media as a double-edged sword, as a two-sided coin. Uh, it amplifies, as we talked about in our, our previous podcasts, uh, both pro-social and anti-social behaviors. And mm-hmm. so it's really all in how you use it. You can certainly use it as this uh, niche marketing tool to hone in on your um, potential customers, uh, but it can also be used um, to collect people in, in ways that are a little more uh, problematic and possibly even nefarious. Right. And one of the things that you see, especially, you know, again, I don't want to get into the political realm, but... 
it kind of is a uh, let's face it it's a case study right now you know because one of the things i see is people that go down the political train on social media especially on facebook they go down that train all of a sudden they start to alienate 50 percent of their audience and i see a lot of self um basically self-filtering on something like LinkedIn, which is very business-to-business, where people who even hint at anything political, other people come up and say, this is not Facebook, stop that. You know, so there's... Even the platforms themselves are kind of, you know, doing kind of their their own thing. I mean, Twitter, obviously, is just, you know, troll heaven. Uh, all of these platforms kind of have their personality, right? Yeah, I actually, um, as, as modern... Um and kind of top rung social media goes, I would look at um, as Twitter as the cesspool. Uh, I don't know if I can say that and not sure. get in trouble. But, <laughs> sure. Uh, it's where pretty much anything goes. Um, you look at Facebook as, um, as the connector for the older people. The younger crowd is not using Facebook so much anymore, but that's where you get into the political discussions and, 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 and fights um, without uh, the, uh, the cesspool type stuff in them. They're a little bit uh, scrubbed in there. But yeah, you look at uh, LinkedIn and you're going to have uh, uh, a, a set of rules that the community has built, not even so much the platform, uh, about what uh, what can go there and what you can do there. And you've got to be uh, really careful about, um, and this is a term that uh, I use, curating your content. Um, and some people think that curating content is restrictive. Uh, and it's not really restricting what you post. It is like a museum. They have a huge collection of artifacts. Not all of it can be available to the public. And so you have curators who decide what gets put out there. And as a uh, business marketer, you really have to curate your content. As an individual, you need to curate your content. And that means that you're very, very careful about what you choose to put out there. Now, again, we've got this double-edged sword. Uh, you could be so careful that you're putting out stuff that's not true. Uh, you're creating this persona of yourself uh, that is completely false and People can see through that eventually. Uh, they can see that disingenuity um, or that you're being disingenuous. So you've got to be careful about that, but you also want to be careful that you're not always posting the same things. Uh, I try to get a, a broad range uh, when I'm posting on my social media. Uh, I am an educator, so I post stuff about education. I'm a father. So I'll post stuff about what my family's doing. Uh, I am involved in social media. So I post about um, the psychology of social media and interesting memes related to social media. I'm also a very religious person. And occasionally I'll post some religious things. Um, and it's really interesting because I've had people who reach out to me and say, I really appreciate the way that you post and the things that you post. And even last week I had someone... Uh, message me and say, this just doesn't seem to fit you. I posted something uh, that was a little bit controversial, but I thought I'd done it in a way that was uh, much more um, tame than most of those out there. Uh, and it, 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 it kind of came back and somebody says, this, this just doesn't match you. And as I talked to her uh, in a private message, we decided um, she understood where I was coming from and um, I understood where she was coming from. And she realized I wasn't uh, being disingenuous in, in my post at that time. But even 
you got to be careful, especially when you're building this personal brand or your uh, your company's brand uh, that you carefully curate. Don't just hit the same note all of the time. Uh, I post religious things, but I'm really annoyed by my friends who only post about religious things. I'm like, yeah, I'm religious, but I don't need to read about it in every single post that you ever post. And so find a variety, uh, target your niche market, but, but talk about human things, talk about what's going on in the company, talk about how you're connecting with company, uh, customers. You can also talk about your product and how awesome it is. But if you're constantly doing that, uh, you're not curating very well. Right. And that's, so you brought up the two, two of the three taboos. Number one is religion. Number two is um, politics. And the third one being sex. And I'm not talking about what happens behind closed doors. I'm talking about men versus women. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, women need to be put down because you see that stuff all the time. And one of the things that I think that you know, your point brings up is that we tend to self-filter ourselves. You know, when we hear something about a political view, a religious view, or, or a gun view, or, you know, anything that's even semi-controversial or could be polarized, we tend to kind of like self-filter uh, what we want to hear and what it means and what kind of emotion that it brings inside of us, right? Yeah, um, and that's the other side of filtering, not necessarily a plus minus, but we can also, uh, with these digital technologies, these social media tools, we can filter what we see, and we don't even necessarily do that on our own. The algorithms do that for us. The more things that we interact with, the the more often we will see similar things. And so we are, with the help of these uh, major algorithms and our own choices, sometimes we hide people we disagree with, uh, we are only seeing um, one point of view. And it gets us into what uh, Eli Pariser in his um, TED Talk, which I highly recommend, um, talked about uh, filter bubbles. Now, there's some research out there that debates uh, filter bubbles, but there's research that is in support of them and research that shows that maybe they're not as powerful as we think they might be. Uh, but until we get to the point uh, where those two uh, camps uh, in, in science come together, I am firmly on the side of the idea that filter bubbles are there and they are impacting our society their impact is as, as individuals, and they're making us more tribal in our ideologies uh, online and in real life. So, in the filter bubbles, here's the thing, and this is, again, I'm going down the political road, but only from a case study standpoint. And one of the things that I've noticed is, is that one of the two political parties is much, much better at branding than the other one is. So in other words, if you say, you know, it's like the difference between global warming and climate change. You know, global warming sounds like a big problem. Climate change sounds like the difference between spring and summer. You know, and, um, you know, pro-life versus pro-person, you know, or anti-abortion, anti, you know, it's like the, the words that people use really create the emotion and the branding. So in these filter bubbles is a lot of that just how it's branded and how it's presented and how it makes us feel. 
I think so. Um, when we were looking at the estate tax uh, during the uh, George W. Bush presidency, uh, they were doing some um, focus groups uh, to see how people would respond uh, to certain terms, and everybody was pretty much in favor of the estate tax. But when they called it a death tax, which is really they're taxing the estate after someone dies, um, which encourages people to either invest or give away their money before they die, um, calling it a death tax really made a difference, and that upset people. So they weren't upset by the word estate tax so much. That didn't... Uh, wasn't a hot button issue, but you call it a death tax without changing anything else. And then all of a sudden people are up in arms about it. And so it is, it's a, it's, it's a very interesting and complicated thing, but uh, the words that we use do make a difference. And the deeper we get into these filter bubbles uh, where all of these ideas are just kind of bouncing around, but they're all the same idea. The more we think that everybody thinks the way we do and that, if somebody is different, they are dead wrong. And that is really, really problematic because it leads to uh, a situation both online and in real life. We see this deadlock in Congress right now where nobody's willing to work together. Uh, the word compromise is a dirty word. Um, and really the only way we can get things done is through a little bit of compromise. I had an interesting experience where I got to uh, meet meet uh, Senator Jeff Flake uh, and, and, and talk to him about this. And he, uh, his political leanings very different than mine. Um, and I, I asked him about uh, media and um, the news and, and politics. And he said something that really surprised me because in his, and this was before the whole uh, fallout where he um, supported some Democratic candidates and spoke out against the president. Uh, but he was very much a Tea Party Republican, and uh, what he said really surprised me because it didn't seem to fit with uh, this persona I'd built up around him. Uh, but he says, if you're just watching the news from one source, you're not really getting the news. The news is about spinning information, not necessarily making it fake, but spinning it towards one side or the other. And so if you're watching Fox News, you're getting a unbalanced view of the news that is more right-leaning and it is all about getting viewers they, it's 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 even so much more entertainment than it was before but it's about getting viewers and so they tell the viewers what they want to hear and they spin the news to the right if you read the huffington post you're going to get news that's spun to the left or watch msnbc it's going to be spun to the left and it's not necessarily that they are giving you bad news or fake news. Um, it's, it's actually not that case, but it is news that is, um, it's, it's filtered. And it is uh, filtered for a very specific audience. And so we see this happening in the, the major news organizations uh, where they're filtering their content to match their viewership. Uh, but we also see this online, but it's much less regulated. There's much less... Um, of a referee, I guess you could say, when it's happening in Facebook groups and other things. And you can get these crazy fake news and conspiracy theories and all of this stuff that pops up in there. And it just starts bouncing off these filter bubble walls and gets stronger and stronger and louder and louder. And people start to believe this stuff um, to their own detriment and to the detriment of the people around them. So 
one of my core philosophy beliefs is that we are not born to hate. We're taught to hate. All right. And I don't want to go down the hate route. But one of the things that you see is when people disagree, for some reason, we used to be more congenial or maybe it just wasn't in our face so much. But now it seems like there's a lot of things that are there to demonize um, the opposition's viewpoint, you know, and, and, you know, bringing up the news again. There's a big difference between calling somebody an asylum seeker versus an illegal alien. You know, one is asylum. They're coming for hope and health and, you know, all those kind of things. And the other one is law-breaking thing that was on a, a spaceship with Sigourney Weaver that's going to bite your head off. <laughs> you know, and it's just the way that it's presented. But there's, but the thing about it is a lot of it is geared towards creating and demonizing. And, you know, as opposed to, you know, like you said, one thing is spun one way to make it sound more like you want to hear it. But in a lot of ways, the opposing view in that same counterproductive way is set up so that you dislike the opposite side. And I think that's where, you know, we've gotten so good at that, that the divisions are starting to get bigger. Well, and I would have to um, somewhat disagree with you, uh, not on the hate part, mm -hmm. but it is actually in our DNA uh, to be afraid of things that are new, mm -hmm. uh, to have prejudices. Um, and anyone who tells you they don't have prejudices uh, is either lying to you or lying to themselves. Actually, have you seen the movie The Crudes? It's uh, the cartoon movie about the cavemen. No, uh, the, the Nicolas Cage character is the father in that. And he um, at the very beginning is talking about all these things that are bad and evil and they need to stay away from. And it's all stuff that has killed these neighbors of theirs. And so this family who was afraid of everything, didn't try anything new, survived while everybody else died from trying the new things. Uh, oh, there's a, a cool animal. Let's go see it. I'm, I'm lunch now. Mm -hmm. um, and we see even with young children, as soon as they start to walk, and this comes from my uh, edu educational psychology and child development background, uh, they become afraid of new things. They become afraid of strangers, uh, which is why you get so many awesome pictures on Facebook around Christmas time of toddlers who are scared to death of Santa Claus. Hmm. Uh, and you see these crazy uh, looks on their faces. That's a natural tendency. We also see um, in, in the study of primates and humans uh, that our social structures tend to break down once we get more than 150 people into our social groups. Uh, and so that is where this idea of tribalism kind of came in. The social structure breaks down, you divide into tribes, and you're competing for resources. So this idea of us versus them is actually built into our DNA. Now, the idea of hate um, is something that is taught and is um, kind of comes out of that. Uh, I just actually saw a meme today where it said you have fear and lack of education get distilled and fear is a, um, a flame. Mm -hmm. uh, lack of education is this uh, green goo in a, in, a, in, a, in a bottle, and then it gets distilled into hate. So the, the, the way to overcome those prejudices is to get to know people uh, from the other group and to uh, overcome our fears and our prejudices, uh, or at least to, 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 to 
get beyond that. And what these online filter bubbles do is they don't connect us with the other. Uh, they get us involved with a whole bunch of people who believe and think the same way we do online, and we don't see any good in the other. Uh, we don't have an opportunity to reach across that gap and to, uh, to build that bridge and to uh, educate ourselves on uh, how these are people, they are good people, they might just have different ideas than we do. So let's do a social media infrastructure week episode right now. How do we build that bridge in today's environment to get to know the people on the other side so that we can have a conversation where civility starts to come back? Well, actually, I just read yesterday uh, a Wall Street Journal article uh, by uh, General Jim Mattis, who was the Secretary of Defense uh, and recently resigned. And he talked a little bit about some of the ways that we can uh, build those bridges and, and overcome tribalism. Um, he said, unlike in the past, where we were unified and drew in allies, currently our own com commons seems to be breaking apart. What concerns me most as a military man is not our external adversaries, it is our internal divisiveness. We are dividing into hostile tribes cheering against each other fueled by emotion and a mutual disdain that jeopardizes our future instead of rediscovering our common ground and finding solutions. All Americans need to recognize that our democracy is an experiment and one that can be reversed. We all know that we're better than our current politics. Tribalism must not be allowed to destroy our experiment. Um, I thought that was really uh, interesting, not necessarily a solution, but that we're seeing people in very high places saying, hold on, let's rein this in, uh, let's overcome this tribalism. Uh, one of the things that, that we can do, uh, and this is number one, is to recognize uh, that there's a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess if you can think of the 12 steps, if you don't recognize there's a problem, you won't feel any need to fix it. And one of the very first things I do with my students is uh, we watch the She's a Witch uh, scene from Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. Mm -hmm. familiar with that? Yes. Uh, and we look at the many different uh, errors in human reasoning that are in that. We've got stereotypes. We've got um, the non sequitur, thinking that something is logical, and there's no logical aspect to it at all. This whole idea that if she is a witch, she is made of wood because we burn witches, uh, and wood floats, and so does a duck. And so if she weighs the same as a duck, then she is a witch. <laughs> and so they put on these scales, and they do this. And uh, we've got authority bias, where they're just trusting anything this guy says. Um, and they have uh, this idea of uh, the mob mentality that's coming together. Um, I don't think anybody woke up that day thinking, uh, let's go burn a witch. Uh, you got one guy in the audience who still got his shaving cream on, and he didn't wake up thinking he's going to get tossed into this, but he did. And there's this whole group of people saying, burn the witch. And this guy gets up there and says, logically, we, we see this, and there's no logic to it. So we have to recognize that there's a problem and that our brains make shortcuts that helped us survive as a species that don't necessarily help us uh, to overcome these social problems that they can cause. So that's number one. We need to recognize that there's a problem and be aware of what those problems are in ourselves. Because mm -hmm. when you think of confirmation bias, 
Uh, you only look for what you agree with and completely ignore things that you disagree with. When you think of that, you, if you try and change it in somebody else, you actually just make their beliefs stronger. It's called belief perseverance. Right. And so even if you um, tell somebody that they're wrong, we have this anti-vaccination movement out there. There's no science that supports it. But the more we tell people that they are wrong, the more they believe in what they are fighting for. When the witch scene, they lifted up this fake nose that they put on her. Nobody questioned, oh, that nose isn't a witch's nose. It's a fake nose. And they put it on her. She must not be a witch. No, they actually had a much stronger desire to burn her. And so I do that with my students and we help them to, one, recognize these errors and two, recognize they have them. And three, recognize it's a problem that they can actually address and fix in themselves. Uh, so that's the first thing. We need to recognize there's a problem. <clears throat> the second one is that we actually need to try and do something about it. And there's a bunch of things that we can do with that. One, talk to somebody who's different from you. Uh, I, 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 I love the Us and Them podcast on, um, it's on PRX, NPR. Trey K gets people who are... Um, in very different places, either politically or on the side of um, uh, one that he did in, in this area was Hillers versus Creekers. And it's kind of like one side of the tracks versus the other and brought people together and they discuss things. And he kind of creates this bridge between them where they don't have to agree with one another, but you start to see the humanity in the other person. Um, actually, uh, there's a, I was at uh, the, the TED Summit in Scotland, and I cannot remember the name of the speaker, but talked about, uh, do you want to meet somebody who is on a different level than you, who uh, is uh, not different level, let's cut that, who is um, differently politically than you or has a different view on an issue. And these people signed up online to meet a complete stranger at, in public in a safe place, right, and have conversations about very hot button, hot topic issues. And it was really interesting, the things that came out of this, uh, that people started to realize, oh, this other person isn't a demon. They just have a different way of looking at things. Um, and so we need to actually do something about it. Don't hide the people on Facebook or on LinkedIn or on Twitter that have opposing viewpoints to you. Look at it. Try and understand it. You don't have to agree with them, but if you can understand where they might be coming from, then uh, you, you might be able to understand them a little bit better. And also when you're having an argument, and uh, Arthur Brooks, he gave a, a good TED talk about this, um, about the, the, the virtues of capitalism and how uh, we need to work together, not working apart, and come to understand one, of the, one another. But Arthur Brooks talked about this idea that we need to not argue less. We need to argue better. Don't personally attack the person, because as soon as you make a personal attack, guess what happens? It becomes personal. If you talk about your thoughts and your feelings and your beliefs about an issue, and somebody else talks about theirs, and they're opposing you can still come together and feel like you're, you, you haven't lost your humanity in this argument. So we need to learn to argue better, not necessarily less. And these taboo things you talked about, religion and politics, we actually should be talking about those, just not in the ways that we're talking about them. Not in these filter bubbles where everybody agrees and then out in the world where we just fight. Right. And I think that can help. 
Yeah, and so let me close out with a couple of points. Number one, the first thing that I think is most important for everybody to understand is you cannot change your circumstances, but you can change your attitude and how you react to it. The second thing is that I've done a bunch of blog posts and podcasts lately, and the two that are kind of juxtaposed to each other, one is called The Seven Deadly Sins, and then the other one is called The Attitude of Gratitude. And what I noticed was is The Seven Deadly Sins kind of hit like a thud, because people had this fear, you know, the seven deadly sins. It just, it brings up an emotion that people didn't like. The attitude of gratitude one made people happy, and I got more comments, feedbacks, and likes on that. So one of the things is, is that in your messaging, if you can be more positive about the results and not be negative, I think you're going to end up with much better responses, better listeners, opening eyes, and have a much more convincing way of getting your message across. Would you agree with that? I would. And uh, I'll go back to that uh, Monty Python clip. Um, there's one, one, one instance where this guy says, she turned me into a newt. And that was what we call the affect heuristic uh, or fear mongering, getting people to make decisions based on their emotions. And that's actually what marketing is all about. But you want to use their positive emotions, not necessarily their negative emotions. When you um, focus on those negative emotions and get people to make decisions based on fear or uh, fear of missing out or other things, they're going to regret that decision um, eventually. You get them to make decisions based on positive things, and they are going to feel good about that decision uh, more likely. So, yeah, it's always best to focus on the positive. I saw a meme this week that said, a photographer doesn't change the scene. He just changes his percep perception or she just changes the perception of the scene. And that's what we need to do with our lives. And that's kind of what we need to do with the, our marketing. Uh, you change the perception to fit your needs and to fit the needs of your customer uh, so that there's less of a disconnect there. Awesome. Well, Brian, this has been some great, deep, interactive thinking. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge with my peeps. If people wanted to follow you, what's the best way for them to connect up or follow you? It's a good question. I have a, uh, a website, briankinghorn.com, and that would kind of link to everything else. Uh, I also recommend the Psychology of Social Media Facebook page. I post all things social media, uh, most of it related to psychology and some of the things that we may have been talking about today. And I think that's just a, a, a great almost daily dose of, uh, of, of things that uh, might be helpful in understanding social media and the psychology of social media and, and even how you can be a better marketer by understanding, understanding that. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on and dropping some sizzling hot bacon knowledge bombs on my peeps. You know I could talk to you for hours about this stuff because I love it. And I will definitely have you back on again because I have a feeling things in the social media world are going to change one of these days. What do you think? That's an interesting question. Uh, do you remember MySpace? I do. Well, uh, where is it now? Yeah. Well, thanks again, Brian, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Well, that's it for today's Bacon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something today. If you did, please go to iTunes and give us a review. We appreciate all your feedback and comments. If you have any questions, go to www.baconpodcast.com forward slash questions, and we'll make sure we get those answered for you. Till next time, keep sizzling. Keep sizzling.